Well, I think this means that I am I'm up. I don't have the order of service in front of me, so I'm just going to go ahead and jump up here, and if I'm overstepping my bounds, please forgive me for whoever is supposed to be up next. I'll also confess that this morning during the first service, in live action, I realized that I wasn't wearing my glasses when I went to read the scripture, and that was a fiasco. Um, But glad to be here this morning, even without glasses. Hey, it was kind of cool to see the the band up here playing. Uh, Four of those in the band, I actually had the pleasure of having in youth group. I believe I left just before uh, a couple of them graduated, but, you know, it's nice to see that uh, I didn't mess them up so bad in teaching them youth that Reed couldn't come in and correct and, and recoup, and they, they seemed to turn out okay. So grateful to be here this morning with you guys. You know, there are two types of people in this world. There are those of you who are happy the Christmas season is over. That's not to say you didn't enjoy it. You, you might have enjoyed it, but... You know, all the goings on, the, the build-up and all that, you're just, you're ready for it to be over, and you're, you're okay with it being over. And then there's the rest of us, who went out yesterday on a two-hour errand and came home to find that their wife had packed up all the house of Christmas things, put them up, and your tree is just sitting there empty. There's a little miscommunication. Um, no, there's the, the other half of those people are those of us who are counting down the days till Christmas 2018. I've always loved Christmas. Always loved, from a, a young age, I don't even remember, I had, uh, there were five children in my family. I was always the first one up. I'm kind of in the middle of our bunch. I was always the first one up. I would go and wake up my brothers and sisters, and it's Christmas morning. We'd go up to New York where uh, my grandparents lived, and we would go to bed the night before, and that next morning, I was always the first one up, waking them up. We'd go downstairs, and we would open up packages, and there were presents from Santa, from my parents, from uh, grandparents, from aunts and uncles would come over. There were just gobs and gobs of presents. And then about mid-morning, we would drive an hour to go to my other set of grandparents, And we would see them, and that same scenario was repeated. There was a Christmas tree, and my grandparents were there, and there were just presents heaped up, and my aunts and uncles would come over, and there were just presents all underneath that Christmas tree. And we would open them and just have a blast. And then as things kind of wound down, you know, we finished with the presents. Grandma would go back into the kitchen, and she'd start making pies and getting dinner ready. And I would always be there kind of thinking, isn't there more? Like, maybe... Look under the Christmas tree. Maybe I missed a package. Isn't, isn't there more? Like, is this really, you just kind of have that sinking feeling that Christmas is over. This is it. There's nothing more to unwrap. And all the buildup is complete. And you know, I never grew out of my love for Christmas. I still love Christmas. I'm like a child. My kids think that they wake me up on Christmas morning. I'm waiting for them to come into the room on Christmas morning to let me know, it's Christmas, it's time to get up. I still love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. If it's Christmas, I love it. If it's Christmassy, I love it. If it's Christmas-ish, just leaning towards Christmas, I love it. If it's red and green, I love it. I just love everything about Christmas. I love the get-togethers that happen. I love the candles that Heather burns in the house. I love the smell of the Christmas tree. Even that guy that's outside the Walmart ringing the bell that most of you are annoyed by, I love that dude. 
because he's Christmas. Just never have grown out of Christmas. Even the, Okay, one thing I don't like about Christmas, I'll confess, Christmas traffic. I don't like it. Going to the malls, the Christmas traffic, I don't like it. But you know what makes Christmas traffic better? Christmas music. And I love Christmas music. I love it. I absolutely love all the. Cla- I'm a classic guy on Christmas music. I love it. Like, you know, chestnuts roasting on the open fire, Frosty the Snowman, Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. All the good classics. I love them. I've never grown out of it. But you know, I, I'm still at the end of Christmas when it's over. There always seems to be a letdown for me. Even though we, we build in some safeguards in our family, we try to do some things that keep our focus on Christ for Christmas. The whole thing of Jesus is the reason for the season type of thing. We, we try to make sure we do that. But you know, every year I fail. And you know how I know that I fail at it? It's because every year after Christmas, I'm disappointed in some way or some, some fashion. There's a letdown that happens. And if my focus was truly on Christ at Christmas, that letdown wouldn't be there. And I'm almost like that kid that was from 30 years ago that would look under the Christmas tree and go, isn't there more? At, at the end of Christmas, I still ask my, isn't there more? Now, some of you, if you're friends with me or Heather on Facebook, you might have seen a video that we posted last week. We got Michaela, she's going to be 12 years old, in a couple months, we decided it's time to get her a phone because she's getting active in youth at church that we go to in Monroe. And so we like the idea of her being able to call us and that sort of thing. So we totally, I told her she's not getting a phone until she's 16 or 18 or 82. I wasn't sure what, yet which. Um, so we, she had no idea that a phone was coming. It wasn't even on her radar. And so she opened the package. This video is on our, our Facebook page. She opened the package, and she couldn't believe it. And she just started crying because she got a phone. It was a very endearing <laughs> moment. But, you know, she just loved it. She was so, so shocked that she got a phone. But don't you know in two years she's going to be asking for a different phone because that thing's old news? That phone isn't going to... It's going to let her down. There's going to be that disappointment. And I think it's kind of sad that that happens oftentimes at Christmas time. And maybe that's why I like mission teams so much. I love to have mission teams come on the field when we were living in Africa because you guys would get prepared. You'd memorize scripture. They'd memorize uh, stories that we, we sent them. They'd memorize their testimony. And they'd be all this buildup. People would give money and they'd raise money to go overseas. And they'd put $3,000 on the line to go over and share the gospel in Africa. And so there was all this buildup to it. And then they'd get on the plane. They'd come over. They'd endure an 18-hour flight to get to us and then another 10-hour driver, another three-hour flight and a charter plane to get to our little village. And they'd get there and for two weeks, 10 10 days to two weeks, they'd spend going out every day sharing the gospel and sharing those stories with people, people that they couldn't even understand English and they'd have to have a translator and they would have to use the chimbuzi, which is the outhouse in Africa. They'd have to use the chimbuzi and they would eat foods that they didn't really want to eat, but for the sake of the gospel, they would do it. And then on the last night, we would all come together outside. We had a fire pit in our yard and I'd build a fire. We typically have some s'mores that night. And I just asked them, why don't, why don't we just go around and share what God has done in you this trip or how God's spoken to you this trip? And if everybody didn't say these exact words, they alluded to it in some form or fashion, they would say, I feel satisfied. 
I feel like I've done something this week that God has just, He's used me. He's used me in a, in a way that I, I wasn't anticipating and I feel satisfied that all the sacrifice, all the preparation, all the money that was spent, all the fundraising that was done, all the hours that I've taken, the, all the vacation that I've sacrificed at work, it was all worth it because I feel like God has used me this week. And some of you who have gone and done mission teams or mission trips, you know that feeling. And wouldn't it be awesome if you could take that feeling and you could put it in a bottle when you're over there in Africa or India or China or wherever you're at and and you could put that feeling in a bottle and then you could take it back and you could sneak it through immigration and through customs and so they wouldn't know that you had it. And then you get back to your everyday life here in America where you feel like it's just the same old, same old, the mundane, there's nothing different. And when you started feeling insufficient, when you started feeling like that life just was not good enough, there you weren't really being used by God here, you could just take that bottle and open it and just sniff it and just remember. But wouldn't it be better if we could actually have that feeling in America without having to try to bring that back from a mission trip? Wouldn't it be neat if we could live our lives like that where we were living for a higher purpose, that day in and day out we felt like God was using us in a significant way? I think there is. I think there is a way that we can feel used by God. And here we come to the end of 2017, the last day of 2017, going into the first day of 2018 tomorrow. We make all kinds of plans and and what we're going to do for 2018, how we're going to be a better me, how we're going to lose weight, or we're going to do this thing or that thing, and we're going to be a better parent, we're going to be a better worker, we're going to do whatever it is that we have set our minds to, and then a couple months in, we usually you know, fail at that. But wouldn't it be neat if we could some way prepare ourselves for God to use us in significant ways in 2018? This morning, as we come to the text found in Luke chapter 2, I think this, these verses tell us ways to prepare ourselves for God to use us. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you turn to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, And we're going to start with verse 22. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 22. Before we read this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that we can come into this place. We can read your word. We can hear your word. We can sing your word, God, and you can speak to us. And God, we know, though, that no matter the things that we do, we put ourselves in a position for you to speak to us, but God, there's no obligation for you to actually speak to us. And so we come before you this morning and we ask you, God, we beg you that you would speak to us during these moments. God, we desire to hear from you. We desire to be transformed to your likeness. So God, during this time, speak to us. Amen. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start with verse 22 through 24. It says, And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. 
Now, what Luke is doing in this passage, there's two things that is happening here. He's talking about two different uh, things that they did according to the law of Moses. The first one that he talks about is the purification of Mary. What that is, is every time a woman had a child, a male child, she had to wait 40 days. And then she would go to the temple, she'd present a sacrifice, and that sacrifice would be a lamb or it would be uh, a pigeon or two turtle doves, depending on their social well-being, how much sacrifice they could offer. And so she goes to offer this for the purification. Up until that point, between birth and that point of that purification offering, she wasn't allowed to go into the temple. She wasn't allowed to touch anything sacred. There was a time that she was to stand back from those things. And so then when she comes and she offers that, then she can start participating again in those temple things. She can go and she can be among those sacred things. She's allowed to participate again. And so she was going to offer that purification offering. The other thing is the dedication of Jesus to the Lord. Now this goes back to the days when you remember the the um, ten plagues that happened and uh, the tenth plague where they had to paint the doorpost with blood and the firstborn of all the Egyptians was killed and of the Israelites, the Hebrew children, that if they painted that above their doorpost, the firstborn would be spared. Ever since that time, ever since that moment, it was considered the firstborn male was dedicated to the Lord. And so what they would do is they would take the firstborn and they would bring them to the temple and they would bring with them a sacrifice of five shekels. Five shekels roughly was about a month's worth of earnings. And they would present that baby in the temple and they would offer that sacrifice. In essence, they were buying their child back, but yet they weren't buying their child back because that child was always considered until their death as dedicated unto the Lord. And so Luke tells of these two different things that they were doing because Luke's point was, very, was, was this. He wanted you to know that Jesus came from a family who meticulously obeyed the law of the Lord. It was very important to him that you know that Jesus came from a family who meticulously obeyed the law of the Lord. Well, the question that naturally springs up in my mind then is, how did they know? How did they know to go and do these things? Was it just born in them? Did they know? how? Of course, they knew scripture. They knew tradition. They were in that life. They, they knew those things. They knew the scriptures. If we want to put ourselves in a position to be used by God in 2018, we have to know scripture. Now, I want to play a game with you. This is the early service, so I expect a lot of you, or sorry, this is the, the second service, the more contemporary, the, the younger crew is in here, I guess. So I'm, I'm hoping that you know this first song. And some of you that are my age and older will know the, old, the other one. Probably most of us will know the other one. Let's start out with this one. What I want to do is I'm going to start saying the lyrics to the song. When I stop, I want you to fill in the blank, okay? I'm not going to sing it because nobody wants to hear that. Trust me. All right, are you ready? Now, it's not a Christian song, so forgive me. I'm, I'm asking your forgiveness before I start, okay? Rolling in my 5.0 with my rag top down so my hair can blow. Thank you. Somebody, somebody had the courage to admit that they listen to secular music. Very good, very good. Yeah, that was Vanilla Ice, 1990. That was my jam. I cruised around Charlotte in my little red CRX listening, jamming out to Ice Ice Baby back in the day. All right, what about this one? 
Yeah, that's a picture you guys could imagine, isn't it? Um, you ain't nothing but a hound dog crying all the time. You ain't nothing but a hound dog crying all the time. Well, you ain't ever caught a rabbit. And you ain't no friend of mine. Who's that by? Elvis. Well, sort of, kind of. Did you know Elvis actually stole that song? He sang it in 1969. Big Mama Thornton made it popular in 1953. Elvis changed a few of the words to that song, uh, but it was actually from Big Mama Thornton. Why is it that we can remember songs that are 30, 40, 50 years old and we can't remember Scripture? I can remember the lyrics to songs that I'm ashamed that I know. Truly ashamed that I know. And if I hear that music come on in a TV show or something that's on Facebook or something, those lyrics immediately pop back into my head, and I'm ashamed that I know them. Why can I remember those, but I can't remember Scripture? If we want to be used by God, we have to know Scripture. Well, it's hard for me to memorize Scripture. You just don't know, Pastor. It's difficult for me. David, I just, I struggle with memorizing Scripture. I do a lot of other things. So in the church, I can do this and I can do that. And I do this and I serve in this way. But Scripture is just really hard for me. Can I ask you a question? And I really, I'm not trying to be harsh. And I'm not trying to be like a jerk in asking this question. But when's the last time you tried? When's the last time you even tried to memorize the Scripture verse? It's easy for us to make excuses and say, well, you know, I don't do so well with that. But when's the last time we tried to actually sit down? How do you memorize Scripture? You, you write it down, you start looking at it, and you spend time meditating on it. It's not some, some thing that's out there in, in the universe. It's, you memorize it, and then you start just breathing it in and, and Looking, what does this mean to me? How can I apply this in my life? You take it and you set it somewhere at your house or somewhere at work where you interact with that scripture verse, put it on your mirror, and and you just interact with that scripture verse and you let it sink into your soul and let God do the work that he needs to do with that scripture verse in your life. But when's the last time we even tried to memorize scripture? If we're going to be used by God, we have to know the scriptures. To be obedient to them. You're never going to be obedient to scriptures that you don't even know. Before we go on to the next point, I, 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 want, to, I want to make sure that we address this too. Is that it, you know, Mary and Joseph have just had a baby. Jesus was essentially seven weeks old. For those of you who are parents who have had a child, especially your firstborn, you know at seven weeks you're exhausted, Right? That baby's still crying through the night. You're not getting good sleep. You're trying to figure out, you know, is this kid hungry? Do they need to be changed? Are they just a, a demon kid and they're never going to be consoled? What can I do to make this kid stop crying? And so it doesn't speak, though, this passage doesn't speak to Joseph and Mary's emotional state. It doesn't say that they came up happily into the temple. It doesn't say that they were eager to go into the temple. It just says that they went into the temple. There are going to be times in our life that our heart isn't there yet, and yet we still follow Scripture. 
I'm not saying that's the way to operate most of your life. Your heart should be there. But there are going to be times in your life that you're exhausted and you're tired and maybe you don't really want to follow what Scripture tells you to do and yet you still do because that's what Scripture says to do. Mary and Joseph came up into the temple to present the sacrifice because that's what the law of Moses told them to do. They were obedient to Scripture because that's what Scripture said to do. Now going on, this next part, I absolutely love the story of Simeon. We're going to read from verse 25 to 35. Fun fact for you, we didn't know if any of our children, if they were going to be boys or girls. And so we had names picked out for both of them. Carissa, if she was a boy, was going to be named Simeon. So I absolutely love this part of the story. Picking up with verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have, you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mo- mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many Hearts will be revealed. Luke starts out by telling you a little bit about this man, Simeon. And I'm not going to go into, you know, he starts by saying that he's righteous and devout. I think we all have an understanding of what that means. So I'm going to let you go with that understanding of what righteous and devout is. But what does he mean, what the consolation of Israel, what does that mean? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Israel had been waiting for the promised Messiah. And so Simeon had been waiting for this promised Messiah, the Savior that would come and free them, that would redeem them. And so they were waiting. And so Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it also says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. So Simeon goes in day after day into the temple, and then Jesus is brought in. I like to think, because, you know, I love Africa, so I like to think of this as the Lion King moment of the gospel where Jesus is presented, and then Simeon holds him up, and he's like, oh, the promised Messiah. But it wasn't that. The Greek says that he held him in his arms like this, two arms, and had his head there and looking at him, and he recognized that Jesus was the promised Messiah. What a moment that must have been for Simeon. How did he know? How did he know that this baby that he held in his arms was different from every other baby that he had held in his arms that had been presented in the temple day after day as he was coming in? We don't know how old Simeon was here. Tradition says he was 113. We don't know for sure his age. But every day Simeon was there in the temple and babies were being presented and then this one comes and he recognizes the promised Messiah. Now... Those of you who are Harry Potter fans, he didn't have a lightning bolt on his forehead to identify him by. 
He knew because the Holy Spirit told him. Time after time in Scripture, we see the Holy Spirit active in telling people to do certain things or making people aware of certain situations. And here we see Simeon holding Jesus in his arms and recognizing that this is the promised Savior. What a moment. If we want to be used by God, if we want to have that feeling of participation in something bigger than ourselves, we have to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God in our lives. Now, I told my Sunday school class this a a couple months ago. Um, We we love Chick-fil-A. Our family absolutely loves Chick-fil-A. It works itself into about every sermon I preach. So when we were home on furlough a couple years ago, they were doing this thing called a drive-through challenge. You guys remember that, where you're supposed to pay for the person behind you in line? And I never did that because I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm just overthink things sometimes. And so I thought if I'm going to pay for somebody's meal, they're going to know because Jesus loves them is the reason I'm doing it. And I can't do that in a drive-thru. So I never did it. I thought it was kind of just something I didn't want to participate in. So we came back to America this time in March on medical leave. And so, of course, what's better for a, a human soul and medical condition than food from Chick-fil-A? I mean, they're closed on Sunday. It's got to be holy, right? So we go through Chick-fil-A, and I think this was probably the 20th time we had been to Chick-fil-A that day. And we get in line in the drive-thru, and I feel like the Spirit is saying to me, pay for the person behind you. I was like, that's crazy. I don't do that. That's, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Um, I'm not going to do that. And then I, I felt again or heard again the Spirit saying to me, David, pay for the, the, not in an audible voice, but in my heart and my soul, God's saying, pay for that guy's meal behind you or the person's meal behind you. And I was like, I can do that. I'm just, maybe it's Taco Bell I ate earlier today speaking to me. You know, I, I don't know what's going on. And then a third time, I was like, fine, I'll pay for their, their meal. You know, like if 20 bucks is going to make me rest easy to pay for their meal, I'll pay for their meal. And so then I just, sitting there, I decided I'm going to pay for their meal. I feel like the Lord's laid this on my heart, I'm going to do it. And so as I'm sitting in there, and I'm sitting in our Camry, kind of low to the ground, and I decide I want to see who God is getting ready to bless with a free meal from Chick-fil-A. And so I look up in my rearview mirror to see who it is, and I can't see them because they had pulled so close to me that their bumper was all I could see. And all I could see was this big grill of a luxury SUV behind me. And I saw that emblem right there in the middle. I thought, no, they're going to pay for their own meal today. <laughs> they can afford it. And, you know, so I drove off. I, I paid for my meal, got our food, we went on. And then the next day, the Lord really started dealing with me. And then the next day, and the next day, and just where I, I just couldn't shake The conviction of God that he had told me something to do and I refused to do it based on what I saw, based on my earthly judgment of what the situation was, as if their socioeconomic status was ruled over whether I obeyed what the Spirit was commanding me to do. 
I don't know what was going on. It could have been absolutely nothing in that person's life, but I don't know what was going on in that SUV for that person. It might have been that they just came from a medical appointment, that they got some bad news. They might have just came from a counselor, that their marriage, they're trying to save their marriage. It might have been from a school that their kid has been uh, in trouble again. And so they're coming and they might need a blessing. I don't know. It might have been nothing. It might have been for me, for God to teach me to obey the Spirit of God. And I absolutely refused to do it because they had a nicer vehicle than I did. If we want to be used by God, we have to be obedient to the Spirit of God's voice in our life. We can't refuse when God tells us to do something. If we want to be used by Him in 2018, we have to be obedient to His Spirit's voice in our life. I got time. Let me, let me pause here and offer you one nugget that I didn't have time in the early service. Did you notice what he says to Simeon? Or, Simeon says to Mary and Joseph, It starts out good, and then it kind of takes a turn, and it talks about a sword piercing your soul in the hearts of many. If you have people in your life that are speaking truth into your life, make sure they're not always telling you pleasant things. What Simeon says at the end of this was not a pleasant thing to hear. And if all you have is friends that surround you with good job and you're doing great and you're trying your best and you you can't do any better, what could anybody else expect of you? If that's all you're hearing, you need to get some friends that will speak truth into your life and hold you accountable to hard things and doing the right things. You should always have people that speak truth into your life. Okay, let's keep going. Picking up again in verse 36. Here comes the prophetess Anna. And there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, what Luke does here, he does throughout his gospel, or a number of places in his gospel, he puts a man and a woman side by side and kind of lets us see and compare them. And what he's doing here is he's talked about Simeon, and he he says he's righteous, he's devout, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, he turns to Anna, and he starts talking about the things that she's doing externally, that she's prayer and fasting in the temple day after day. Simeon is a picture of the internal person who's following the Lord. Anna is a picture of the external of somebody who's following the Lord. And he puts them side by side. And what I love about this, and I love seeing the humor in the Bible because it's in there, it's throughout there. I love what happens here because we see the picture of Simeon and Simeon says this, I have seen the promised Messiah, now I'm ready to die. 113 years old-ish. Then we have a picture of Anna who at the spry young age of 84 says, I've seen the promised Messiah, now I'm ready to live. 
And Anna starts going out and she starts telling everybody the consolation of Israel, the long-promised Messiah, the one that you've been waiting for. He's here. Come and see Him. Come and touch Him. He's, uh, he's now arrived. She begins to proclaim that the Messiah has come. If we want to be used by God, we better be ready to be servants of Him in 2018. And not just in deeds, but using our words. Proclaiming that the Messiah has come. I don't know, I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hand. You may be familiar with the singer Donnie Wahlberg. He was a singer for New Kids on the Block back in the day. And they just did, a, back in, the, well, this past year, they did a tour. In July, they were in Charlotte. You might have heard about that. Now, some of, some of the, the girls, like us guys, we never got into New Kids on the Block. We're too jealous of them. Um, so all the girls were after them. Um, so we didn't like them. They were here, and, and Donnie Wahlberg has an affection for the Waffle House. He goes to the Waffle House all the time when he's on tour. He finds the Waffle House in that city, and he'll go there after the concert, and he'll eat at the Waffle House. Cool dude, you'd think. You know, like, that'd be a guy I'd like to hang out with, you know? Dude just goes to the Waffle House. So he went to the Waffle House. I think it was on Tybola Road up in Charlotte, the one that he went to. And it made the news because when Donnie Wahlberg got his bill, which was $82, he left a tip of $2,000. And he asked for the five workers that were in there to split that tip. And they took a picture, and they took a picture of the receipt, and they put it up on the news and all that sort of thing, that Donnie Wahlberg leaves $2,000 tip. And it made the headlines in Charlotte. And here's the thing about that. We, we kind of go, man, I'd like to be like that. I'd love to be able to go this afternoon. We're getting ready to finish up. I'm going to go out to eat. I'd love to be able to live a $2,000 tip to my waiter and waitress, and they would love for you to do that too. But I can't. You know, my, my financial situation is not that where I could do that sort of thing, and so I, I'll just give my 15%, and less the service is bad, and then I'm going to give my 10%, whatever. You know, I'll be generous with that. And so we have this mindset, uh, not just in tipping, but just in general in life, that if I can't do something big, then I'm not really going to do anything at all. If I can't do something massive where it's, it's going to be newsworthy, if I can't do something big in the kingdom of God, then I'm not really going to do much of anything. So what I want to do this morning is, is step back from that, and I want to give you baby steps, just something small that you can do with this, with this text this morning, in 2018, that's going to put you on a good path for God to use you this year in a significant way. The first thing, obedience to Scripture. Would you memorize Scripture this year? They make these neat little note cards, like index cards that have a spiral-bound top on them. Go out and get one of those. They're like $2.50 at Walmart. Go and get one of those. And start writing one scripture verse a week. Memorize one scripture verse a week. If you get behind, it's okay. Just put in the verse of Jesus wept and do that one for the week. Right? But memorize scripture. 
Put that scripture on your table. Put it on your mirror. Put it at your desk at work. Read it with your kids. Make it a family thing where you're, as a family, memorizing scripture together. Because I think if I asked most of us in this room, how many of you could say 52 scripture verses, not a hand would probably go up. Maybe one or two. But by next year, 2018 finishes, you could memorize 52 scripture verses. And oh, how God could use you if you knew more scripture. How God could use you in the life of your family and your friends and your people at work and the people that you interact with in Rock Hill and even beyond. Baby steps. One scripture verse a week. You can do that. The second thing is be willing for the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. Would you do this? One baby step, small step, easy thing that you can do. Next time that you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and into your heart, telling you to do something, would you just stop and pause and say, God, was that you? Now, the Holy Spirit is never going to contradict Scripture. Never going to contradict Scripture. So if it contradicts Scripture, I can tell you that's not the Holy Spirit to you and talking to you. That's that bean burrito you got from Taco Bell. Would you be willing to pause and just give God the moment to confirm that He's speaking to you? Here's the final thing. Would you be ready to serve? Would you be willing to serve God this year in 2018? Would you make that commitment to him that, God, I'm, I'm ready to serve you? And okay, we're again, we're not talking about huge, big steps here. We're talking about easy things, right? So I'm not asking you to commit to go back to Africa with me next year, although I'm planning on going. So if you want to go, talk to me. I'm not saying go to Africa. I'm not saying go to India. I'm not saying go into China. Let me ask you this. If you're not willing to cross the pond yet, and go over to Africa, would you be willing to cross your street and start talking to your neighbor? Would you be willing to get out of your cubicle at work and go around to the next cubicle and start talking to that person in that cubicle and building a relationship with them so when they have problems in their life, when they have situations that come up and they need somebody to talk to, they will know that this person walks with the Lord and I can go and talk to that person. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to step out and go and talk to that person and start building relationships and start serving people For kingdom purposes. Three very easy steps. So God can use you in 2018. You do those three things. And I promise you. 2018 God will use you in significant ways. Let's pray. Lord God we thank you for your word. God how it still speaks to us. How it's still true. How after it's been written and read by so many people over the years that it still interacts with us on such a deep level and speaks to us god we thank you for that and god we pray that you would help us to hear and help us to obey what you would have for us god we take this time as we'll be singing to to make it a time of dedication to you and it's in the name of jesus we pray Amen.
As the band's getting ready to sing, let me also just say to you, if you're here this morning, you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never become a believer in Christ, we'd be happy to speak to you. I'll be standing down here in front. Reed's here. We've got all kinds of people that would be willing to share with, with you about how to become a follower of Christ. If you want to come down this morning and just pray, I know that you know, sometimes that's a bit awkward. If you want to just make some sort of commitment to the Lord, you're welcome to come down here and just pray and, and make that commitment to the Lord. So would you stand as the band plays?